relative humidity is 82%. Another news read by Samantha Butler. Cathay Pacific bosses say they can't rule out future layoffs even after a $39 billion bailout from the Hong Kong government and the airline's major shareholders. The administration will take a 6% stake in the struggling carrier but says it has no plans to become a long-term shareholder or be involved with the running of the airline. Cathay chairman Patrick Healy says no staff will be let go for the time being. We can't take anything off the table is unfortunately the the honest answer to that question. Management will be coming to the board of Cathay Pacific in the fourth quarter of this year with their view of what the future holds and we'll be making recommendations at that point to the board. Uh, So until that time, we have no plans for any restructuring other than the recapitalization that we've we've announced today. Uh, But beyond that, the reality is that we can't take anything off the table. Former Secretary for Home Affairs Patrick Ho is reportedly back in Hong Kong after serving a three-year prison sentence in New York over a multi-million dollar bribery scheme. The South China Morning Post said Mr Ho, who's 70, arrived back at 7pm last night on board a converted cargo flight. George Floyd, the African-American whose killing by a police officer ignited worldwide protests against racism, is being buried in his native Houston. Thousands of mourners lined the streets as a horse-drawn carriage with the coffin made its way to the Memorial Garden Cemetery. George Floyd will rest next to his mother, whom he cried out for in his final moments. Earlier at his funeral service, religious and political leaders called for systemic change. The civil rights leader Al Sharpton said the officer who knelt on his neck for nearly nine minutes was sanctioned by the state to carry a badge and a gun. How do we get to this place over and over again? They told Eric Garner, put him in a chokehold. He said, I can't breathe. Those three cops walked, no prosecution. Until the law is upheld and people know they will go to jail, they're going to keep doing it because they're protected by wickedness in high places. A UK study suggests lockdowns alone won't stop the resurgence of the coronavirus, but even homemade masks can dramatically reduce transmission rates. The scientists from Britain's Cambridge and Greenwich universities say widespread mask use combined with social distancing and some lockdown measures could be an acceptable way of managing the pandemic and reopening economic activity long before a vaccine is made. The World Health Organization updated its guidance on Friday to recommend everyone wear fabric face masks in public. And the Japanese carmaker Honda says it's dealing with a cyber attack that's affecting its operations around the world and forcing it to shut factories. Honda said the virus had spread throughout its computer network but provided no further details. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Rachel Cartland. Rachel, good morning to you. Good morning. We're talking today about civil servants. The Civil Service Secretary, Patrick Nip, said on Sunday that government staff, quote, belong to the SAR's civil service as well as that of China. Therefore, when they carry out their duties or even ponder some questions, they must take into consideration their dual identities. He said the administration will seek to strengthen civil servants' national identity and their understanding of one country, two systems. 
However, representatives from some civil service unions were concerned. They said they hadn't heard of such rules and there hadn't been any guidelines on the matter. Mr Nip, in later comments, added that the dual identity was, quote, not a new thing, just rarely discussed. Do civil servants have dual identities of some kind? Should there be a loyalty test for civil servants, as is now being considered? Should that cover their national and local aspects? Should Hong Kong civil servants, like those on the mainland, be the central pillar of strength for the socialist cause? What about their private social media accounts? Should they be screened? What exactly does political neutrality mean? Let us know your thoughts and the answers to all these questions. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bank Chat and RTHK Radio 3. You can call us on 233-88266 or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. Later, we're going to be talking about the Cathay bailout with the former Cathay CEO and a former director of civil aviation. Uh, a few uh, emails uh, to uh, air uh, on uh, various topics uh, just before we get into uh, the main discussion uh, today. Regarding yesterday's discussion, uh, Peter M says, Nixie Lamb seems to have joined the Priscilla School of Participation on Backchat, i.e. talking over everyone else rather than listening. This is exactly why the DAB have to take a large part of the responsibility for what's happened. They simply supported government on the extradition bill and didn't li- bother to listen to the legitimate concerns of the majority of Hong Kong people, as they have done so often before. Herman says, I've been watching the protests and seen the crazed reaction of an authoritarian central government attempting to impose its will against the wishes of local government leaders and people. Of course, I'm talking about the United States and the White House. No doubt the American apologists in your audience will compare the quote-unquote unfiltered media coverage in America to Chinese government propaganda, ignoring the fact that the US government's own mouthpiece, Radio Free Europe, stroke Radio Liberty, has been censoring coverage of the recent American protests or the fact Donald Trump and others could not have credibly called out CNN and other media for fake news if these outlets had been truly unbiased, or the fact that Facebook admitted to biased censorship. Andy says, on the 29th of May, C.Y. Lung urged people to be wary of holding accounts with HSBC and said much of the business HSBC does in China could be replaced overnight by other banks. According to the RTHK report, he didn't actually urge people to withdraw their deposits, but he came close to that. I would say his remarks were stupid, ill-judged, arguably contrary to PRC national security law and hypocritical. If everyone in Hong Kong withdrew their deposits from HSBC, there would be a major financial crisis. HSBC would have a call on its loans, including its residential mortgages, possibly leading to a collapse in property prices. The idea that HSBC's loans and deposits could be replaced overnight by other banks is ridiculous. There is a national security law of the PRC applicable to the mainland. This, this law covers economic security and financial risks as part of national security. If that law was enforced in Hong Kong now, then someone who advocated a course of action which would create a major financial crisis might have committed an offence. Andrew Kay says, Unbelievable, the Americans can be so stupid as to suggest removing funding from their police forces. Stick your head where the sun don't shine. Revisit this stupid idea in a month. David says, last Friday, the town planning board scrutinised, in inverted commas, the plans of the ITB and Cyberport management to use $5.5 billion in taxpayers' money to build a 66,000 square metre new office complex on the current waterfront park area. Many residents of Pok Fu Lam, as well as members of the wider community who use the park, think this is unnecessary. This seems a worthy topic, misuse of funds for back chat, and preferably with Mike Rouse, with his government background. That comes from David. Thank you. And finally, Matthew Matthew, here's from Matthew. Here's a question about civil service and government accountability. Yesterday, it was reported that Hong Kong Post had already delivered 3.38 million of the government's CU 
quote, underpants face masks. In the last couple of weeks, more than 10,000 people have passed me by on the street. Almost everyone was wearing a mask, but I've seen less than 50 people wearing Carrie Lam's underpants masks. As a side note, almost all of these were worn by foreigners. Why is no one wearing the 3.38 million masks? Who in the civil service and or government will be responsible for this debacle? The question is, of course, rhetorical. We know already that there is actually already uh, uh, actually there is already actually no dual identity or accountability to Hong Kong people, only loyalty to Beijing. That comes from Matthew. Joining us for the discussion now, we have Andrew Lung, uh, international and independent China strategist and former director general of social welfare. John Burns, emeritus professor and honorary professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. And Elizabeth Bosha, who's a uh, former deputy secretary for economic services in the British Hong Kong administration. Um, Andrew Lung, good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, is this a, a new thing to you, this idea of a, a dual identity for civil servants? Well, definitely. This is the, uh, the first time that such a concept is um, uh, uh, pronounced uh, by the Secretary for the Civil Service on behalf of the government. Um, I mean, bearing in mind that there were 180, almost 180,000 civil servants, uh, of course, the, the concern is, is genuine. But I think that I would just raise a point for comparison. I mean, just in the United States, for example, do you expect uh, civil servants in the state of California be loyal to the flag? I mean, this is, this is really, I mean, uh, Hong Kong is a special administrative region of China, and naturally, the Hong Kong has got to be loyal to China. I mean, China can't, cannot tolerate Hong Kong being uh, turned into um, a kind of um, base for, for, for activists, for subversion. Or, or for separatism, or for sentiments of separatism. But this is understood, as I said, I mean, compared with the United States, everybody swears allegiance to the flag. Um, but actually, however, do, you, however, do, you, do you think um, that... It is uh, quite one thing to say this, um, I, and another thing I, I need to mention, my personal experience, when I joined the Hong Kong government uh, many years ago, um, I mean, there was also uh, just junior to mid-career, um, as an administrative officer, of course, administrative officers uh, consider in the colonial times, and even now, of course, uh, sensitive posts. I remember um, there was a very, very stringent security check, uh, not only my immediate families, but my grandparents, and including where they live, by the colonial government. I mean, this shows that the government has got to make sure that people in sensitive posts are, have got to be loyal um, to the to the sovereign. I mean, for example, if in those days uh, it was found that perhaps my grandparents was a kind of subversive um, against the colonial government, I, would, I doubt very much I would be allowed to enter in the civil service as an administrative officer. But but isn't this nowadays covered by the need to swear allegiance to the basic law? It looks as if Patrick uh, Patrick Nip is suggesting something extra, something really quite odd, uh, because I think you'll agree, Andrew, that um, in British colonial days, there wasn't this apparent need to have a tremendous loyalty to UK. I mean, Hong Kong civil servants were actually fought for Hong Kong against the, the UK, if necessary. Yeah, right. You, you're, you're, quite, you're quite right. Um, uh, but on the other hand, I think that the um, national security law is not, not so much um, making sure that uh, searching people's heart and soul and make sure that, they are, that, that they're read. Uh, it's, it's just to prevent people uh, from fermenting uh, kind of 
uh, separatism uh, or activities which are uh, uh, considered dangerous. Uh, for example, if you just, you know, just uh, a, a clerk, for example, um, just expressing his own personal opinion um, in, in a social media um, is quite different from a policy secretary uh, saying exactly the same thing in the social media. So I think people in sensitive posts have got to be very, very careful what to say because they carry certain uh, influence um, and positions of authority even outside office hours. And that's the, pro- that's the problem. But I don't think it would be practical and it would be ludicrous uh, to expect 1,800, uh, 180,000 civil servants, including clerks and messengers, to declare lo- loyalty. Um, but as you, you, you pointed out that the um, requirement for um, uh, allegiance um, is in 100, um, I think it's Article 104, uh, which only applies to policy secretaries um, and also uh, uh, judges of all ranks uh, to declare their loyalty because it is considered uh, that people in those positions uh, carry um, quite considerable authority um, and influence. So I think that this, well, this is, of course, encapsulated in the basic law. But I think that if you extend this to screening, you know, sort of social media, uh, not, not only it would be ludicrous, but it would be impracticable. And also, it would, uh, as you said, I mean, you pointed out that this would impinge on Hong Kong's reputation for as a, as a free society. Okay. I mean... I'm a serving uh, civil servant, and can can you explain to me, Andrew? Because I do have this, some kind of difficulty with this sometimes. Uh, I understand that as a civil servant, uh, I serve uh, in, in my job as a civil servant. I serve the administration and the chief executive, uh, and I and I help to uh, enact the policies which which that which are determined by the administration. Um, uh, in that, how can you do that and be apolitical? Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, how you, how can you do that and be politically neutral? Yeah, I mean, you, you hit, do they the, contradict? hit the nail uh, on the head. Uh, but I think that, uh, I think Patrick also quite answered it quite well on that one, <laughs> even not on others, um, that uh, the so-called political neutrality is that you've got to implement government's policies, um, especially, you know, sort of uh, people in positions of authority. Um, even if we don't agree with that policy, you've got to implement it. Now, there is no, no point in singling out the national um, uh, bill, uh, uh, national uh, uh, security mm-hmm. bill, uh, because uh, this principle applies to all policies. I mean, civil servants cannot you know, pick and choose. Um, well, you can leave the civil service if you don't mm-hmm. like it, but especially you can express opinion if you are just a messenger. But if you are a position of authority, uh, but even a messenger is expected to be to carry out instructions, um, even though you don't you don't agree with, with with the general policy. But that's the policy of the government. Um, I think that applies to anyone uh, to, to 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 the private sector as well. Would any private sector employer uh, employ someone who is considered disloyal? Uh, to so, so I mean, enterprise. so political neutrality is the wrong word, really, isn't it? Because it's you have to agree with the government, and you have to agree yeah, with the government well, in your actions, and you have to agree with your government in yeah. your private life, and in in any. Yeah. So it's not you're not really neutral in any. Well, sense. I mean, um, you know, in, in a sense that it depends how you define neutrality, mm. because uh, civil servants um, 
Of course, there is a distinction uh, between civil servants and non-civil servants working in the civil service. You know what I mean. Uh, you yeah. look at the government regulations, um, even um, you know, sort of. Uh, um, for example, the the, 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 the the judges are not considered to be civil servants, but yet they have got to um, abide uh, by the code of conduct in the judiciary. Uh, and it's part of the establishment, of the government establishment, and that's why they have to declare their allegiance uh, under the basic law, under Article 104. Um, but then, of course, the, uh, that uh, requirement of declaration of allegiance um, if, you, if, if you extend it to all clerks and messengers, 180,000 civil servants, I think it's both unnecessary and, and almost ludicrous. I think that's but the not, intention. Yeah. Uh, Professor Burns, John Burns, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Do you, do you see anything new in what uh, Mr Nick was saying, or do you think it's really just he's just kind of saying you've got to look at the bigger picture, you've got to look at the national context? Um, I think he's saying uh, both. So I don't disagree with anything that Andrew has said, except um, this shouldn't be new. And it is new, or appears to be new in some respects. I mean, this is what civil service trade unions have said. This is what Andrew has said. Because we still have a colonial-era civil service. I, I think we need to shift the conversation and look at the wider picture, not comparing with overseas, but comparing with the rest of China. This issue, I believe, is a central local issue. The central government is forever telling local civil servants to respect the national interest. And we see time and time again on the mainland that local civil services are not doing this. Consider the most recent case in Wuhan with the, with the virus. <laughs> One story is that the local civil service suppressed this information. So this is not serving the national interest. And so I think, you know, Shanghai, the civil servants do this, Guangzhou, the civil servants do this, Hong Kong, the civil servants do this. And so I prefer to look at this as a kind of central local thing. And what Patrick Nip was articulating was the view of the central government. Now, we haven't actually heard that before. I mean, so Andrew may be correct that it's a, it's a kind of new messaging, but it shouldn't be. I mean, since 1997, we have been a local government uh, of the People's Republic of China, and so I think it's, you know, this is the way I see it. And we should be looking out for the national interest, not just um, Hong Kong's interest. Yet local civil servants on the mainland are notorious for considering only the local, not just the Hong Kong one. So, so I, this is the way I think we look at it. And about neutrality, I think we need to have a fundamentally different idea about neutrality. I mean, neutrality, as Andrew said, does not mean that the government decides, oh, I will, I will implement this policy or I won't implement this policy. Absolutely not. But in some respects, I would argue, the civil service has never been neutral in Hong Kong. And that's 
We can see this when we look at the preference of the civil service for big business interests. So we have we have um, uh, we have a colonial monopoly based tycoon driven economy that depends on land, and that's simply because the civil service. I mean, in the colonial days, which and the policies continue, prefers tycoons and big business to the rest of us. So the rest of us end up living in caged homes and nano flats to pay for this uh, policy. So, so I think neutrality has many different dimensions. It doesn't just mean oh, you shouldn't support the DAB as opposed to another party. It it. It doesn't just mean that, and we've taken much too narrow a view of neutrality, I would say, and we need to look at the bigger picture. So I'm trying to advocate for bigger picture in Hong Kong, bigger picture relating Hong Kong to the mainland, central-local relations. You you know, it's uh, very clear that local civil services on the mainland, wherever they are, they and towards localism. And the, the Communist Party has denounced localism uh, since it came to power in 1949. It's a serious uh, issue. Liz, you were very immediate and trenchant, really, in your criticism of Patrick. Uh, can you accept this sort of thinking, that this is just a new, a new way of, of talking about something that's existed and that we just have to accept it? I think I can't. I mean, this is, it seems to me, um, he's articulated this for the first time, and uh, some people say, I mean, Andrew said this, and, uh, you know, and so I think we have to reflect on, wow, that's quite amazing that from 1997 until now, no secretary for the civil service has actually said it this way. And so... To me, I have to reflect on why is that, and I believe it's because our selection of civil servants, our training of civil servants, our promotion of civil servants, all of these kind of things, is still stuck in a colonial era. Well, I think... think Liz Liz Bosher, could could we hear from you, perhaps, former Deputy Secretary for uh, Economic Services? Um, Yeah, your your answer to, perhaps, to Rachel's question? Liz Bosher? No. Oh, okay. Oh. You're joining us later, right? Okay, <laughs> sorry. Come along that one. Sorry. Yeah, please, Andrew. Uh, uh, can I? Can I? Can I, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that the you, you've got to realise that um, as, as someone in the civil service for over 38 years, and previously before I joined the administrative service, uh, I was also in the executive uh, uh, grade, uh, which of course of course, have got to embrace the whole book. is is about a three-inch book called the Civil Service Regulations. Now, uh, in the Civil Service Regulations, it governs uh, the conduct of civil servants, including um, a phrase called conduct unbecoming. Now, of course, conduct unbecoming um, can mean many different things. Uh, but, of course, the, uh, the whole intention of, of this Civil Service Regulations is to ensure that all civil servants um, carry out their duties um, according to official instructions, uh, they, uh, according to official policies, 
Um, and I think that uh, also that uh, as pointed out right at the beginning, this um, idea uh, that Hong Kong civil servants should um, be loyal to Beijing, of course, is something new. But I think that as Patrick tried to <laughs> later on uh, elaborate on that, it doesn't mean the de declaration of allegiance. It means that it be just like the United States, you've got to de declare loyalty to the flag. And Hong Kong is part of China, is uh, accountable to Beijing, and must be loyal to Beijing, Hong Kong as a whole. Jump. So by implication, right. uh, you can't be um, a subversive as a civil servant. And now, why, is, why now? Uh, why is not... You know, it's not happened before, and um, and you can you can also answer the same question uh, by looking at the situation now. Why introducing this national security law after 23 years? And it's because of what happened during the past maybe 10 years or so, and there is a local movement increasingly uh, verging towards. Um, and even now, open demands for, for independence and separatism, and also involving violence and then um, suspicions of um, all these activities being aided and abetted by, foreign, uh, by hostile foreign powers uh, at a time of increasing rivalry uh, between the world's um, two great powers. So I think all these kind of um, elements come into play in, 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 in this kind of, a, kind of a new kind of concept um, about the conduct of civil servants. But, but how about a particular case? Hong Kong is currently um, a member of the World Trade Organization. That was part and parcel of the pre-handover arrangements. That could, might, could, might it not, uh, involve conflict with China's interests. How's, how do you settle well, that? Well, trade is quite separate, you know, as you, as you know, mm -hmm. Rachel. Absolutely. Um, Hong Kong has always been um, a separate identity as, as in, in, in the former... Uh, uh, the GATT um, and, uh, as a separate member and this uh, position, Hong Kong became a separate member of the what is now the World Trade Organization previously the GATT, long before mainland China uh, gained its uh, accession so this is part on parcel of Hong Kong's inheritance which includes of course our independent judiciary which of course doesn't apply to the mainland, so I think that all this is part of Hong Kong's inheritance and trade is quite different because trade is, is well, at least largely, it's not not political. All right, John Burns, can I? Can I, I mean, you, it's not. It's really wrong, to, surely, to think of the Hong Kong civil service as kind of a subset of the uh, of the national civil service in the way that local government is uh, it, it is part of the you know is related to the national government in the in the mainland. The, the civil service uh, of the the People's Republic of China under the civil service law adheres to the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party, insists on the guidance of Marxism Lenin. Mao Zedong thought, Deng Xiaoping theory, the important thoughts of three represents, scientific outlook on development, and Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics in a new era. They implement the basic line at the primary stage of socialism, implement the organisational line of the Chinese Communist Party of China in a new era, and follow the principle of management of cadres by the party. That's what civil servants do in China. I'm not aware that they do that here. <laughs> It's not a joke. Yes. I mean, it's a fundamental, profound difference, isn't it? Yes, yes, of course I would agree with that. And so if you look at the selection criteria for the Hong Kong Civil Service, you will see that they are very different, and uh, we all know that. But I think China is trying to move the center of gravity in Hong Kong. This is the way I 
see this, uh, to something that provides more security for the Communist Party internally, and I think they're trying to do this globally as well. So, um, so far, these kinds of criteria have not been laid down uh, for the Hong Kong Civil Service, and uh, I would hope they would not be any time soon. But uh, to say that the Hong Kong Civil Service should not pay attention to the national interest in its work, I think it must also be wrong. So um, it's got to be both. I mean, the, the current Hong Kong government, I have to say, has demonstrated contempt for the people of Hong Kong. It is not accountable to the people of Hong Kong. And so this is unfortunate. Um, and uh, of course, the civil service is uh, part of a part of this structure, and so it's got to be accountable locally, but also be accountable um, for its work to the country. I, I think that don't, is don't, don't, quite reasonable. Don't we just do what the administration tells us to do? What the chief executive tells us to do? And now, okay. So yes, of course. This Sorry, you got thirty this seconds. This is to the answer. way the system ought to work. But let's remember. Since 1841, we've had rule by civil servants. The uh, the government, the, they were making the policy, they were doing it. And so past dependence through 1997, the through train and all this. And look at the, the composition of the government today. It's made up mostly of retired civil servants. So I would say the Hong Kong government today is continues to be civil service-led in the sense that people selected, promoted, and trained under the colonial system are still in power. Okay. Uh, John Burns, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Emeritus Professor at the University of uh, Hong Kong. Andrew Lung will stay with us and we'll hope to be joined by uh, Liz Bosha as well after the news at nine, as well as uh, uh, the former CEO of uh, Cathay Pacific and uh, former Director of Civil Aviation. Stick with us. The weather hot with sunny periods, 29 degrees now, and the relative humidity is at 82%. You saw his head hit the pavement. You see blood on the pavement. Meanwhile, a New York police officer filmed pushing a young demonstrator to the ground during protests over the death of George Floyd has been charged with assault. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on uh, Wednesday morning with Rachel Cartland and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking first about the uh, civil service. Later, we're going to be talking about the Cathay Pacific uh, bailout. Uh, joining us for the first topic, we have with us Andrew Lung, international and independent China strategist, former director general of social welfare. We're joined also now by Elizabeth Bosher, who's a, a former deputy secretary for economic services in the British Hong Kong administration. Our number is 233-88266. Give us a call if you want to join the discussion. You can also go on Facebook. Uh, on Facebook, a variety of topics. I'll just give you a, a, a taste of uh, the comments there. You can uh, check it out for yourself. Tom says it's disappointing to see the government give five billion no questions asked to an amusement park without customers. The pandems use eight billion to build a desalination plant in a high rainfall region, and now the Carrie Lam government gave thirty billion to an airline carrier. Uh, during the biggest travel downturn since Japanese subs were sinking ships off the coast while adopting a hands-off policy to it all. When does the money run out? On today's topic, says Tom, I feel the government should back off on pushing things too far and leave the civil servants alone. 
And Bruce says, hello, Hugh and Backchat. I lie in bed tonight, Tuesday night, thinking China will take over Hong Kong and Taiwan any way it can sooner than later and start World War Three, or nobody in the world will care or do anything. Love RTHK3 Radio. Thanks and best, Bruce. And a long comment from Zach, who says, uh, just read from Wiki about the causes of the French Revolution on June the 4th, which, like other historical revolutions, coincide, uh, coincidentally concerned primarily about rising social and economic inequality, economic mismanagement, corruption, demand for greater bi- accountability and freedoms, so on and so forth. Um, uh, I've been asking myself uh, a question for some time. Is there such an imminent need to fight against the extradition bill and the national law for Hong Kong? Will Hong Kong become a place not free anymore soon so that people need to flee? The drive seems to be comparable with the case of the French Revolution and June the 4th. I do not comprehend. If you have a boy or a girl, will you encourage him or her to go to the front and fight? I am not sure. That's uh, from Zach. You can uh, see the whole comment uh, there on our Facebook page uh, as well. On the uh, civil service, Bowen says, Dear Backchat, unless it's a case of drastically wrong and careless as well as unnecessary use of words, which is inconceivable, the imposition of dual identities on civil servants by Patrick Nip is another step in the political campaign of which the recent Article 22 controversy and the enactment of national security legislation, through Annex 3 of the Basic Law, are apart. Compared to past manoeuvres, the current political campaign marks the start of a new epoch. It provides unmistakable and clear evidence of breach of the Sino-British Joint Declaration. The UK is thereby not only legally entitled to intervene, but also given a special responsibility to take the lead in coordinating an international response, as recently pointed out by seven former British foreign secretaries. The more radical element of the pan-democratic camp should calibrate their actions to ensure they don't strengthen their opponents' hands. That comes from Bowen. Once again, our email is backchat.rthk.hk. Morning, Liz. Uh, can we ask you why you came out so quickly, really, and so trenchantly in criticism of Patrick Nip? What, what really provoked you about his statement? Um, well, first and foremost, m- morning, Rachel, and, and you. Um, I, I think, once again, I was a bit stunned by the the timing of this. I mean, one of the things that, that um, made me feel rather angry about it was the fact that there is so much disquiet and alarm already amongst the civil service in, in, in respect of the introduction of the national security law and um, the events of the past few months. Um, I have to wonder why the Secretary for the Civil Service at this point wants to come out and sow even more confusion. I mean, this has already been expressed by the various civil service unions, and, and I think I share their concern. Um, my other point would be that I, I think it's very sad that this seems to imply that the sentiments of the rank and file of the civil service are going to be increasingly at odds with the leadership, with politically appointed officials. This is not what we really were used to in our day, where um, it wasn't a question of the top people in government um, instructing what was going to happen. Um, the civil service worked much more on a sort of bottom-up process so that policies were developed gradually, working their way through the system, rather than being mandated from the top, rather than somebody saying, this is what I want, make it so. It was, it was a collaborative effort in which um, junior levels of the civil service were encouraged to speak up and to put forward proposals and to help in the formulation of those proposals. Andrew. 
Can yeah, please. On that, one, on, on that particular point about the civil servants, um, even all these years, particularly during the colonial days, it's a bottom, bottom-up affair. Uh, this is definitely not so uh, in the colonial days, but also after the handover, um, of course the civil servants are, uh, were consulted, and, and they, they are now. They're consulted on uh, regulations or on, on policies uh, which Im- Im- impact upon them. Uh, but I think that it's very rare that the, they're consulted before um, and they, they would have the, um, you know, to change the kind of uh, key points in the policy. So I don't think it is necessarily bottom up, but also I do not agree that it's a, a completely top down either. Um, it is, of course, part, a good part of good management that you do consult the staff, but you don't, con- you don't let the staff dictate, you know, what the organization does um, in its main uh, strategies or policies. Yes, but Andrew, you know, the very first sentence in the Civil Service Code reads, the Civil Service is the backbone of the government of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. Sure, yeah. It is responsible to the Chief Executive. We all understand that. Yeah. But we've never, I mean, political, a lot of our political leaders are being helicoptered into posts, which they don't really have Saying, but are they saying you have to think this way, or are they saying you have to look at the bigger picture? You have to think of Hong Kong in the context of the yeah. of southern China and of the of the country as a whole, and that's what you know you should be doing as a that's part of your job. Yeah, I, I don't think the Hong Kong civil service should swing completely to the other to the to the other extreme, and I think that Beijing is not so stupid as to include kind of three represents and all these party you know sort of uh, principles into the civil service regulations. Now I think that what um, um, uh, what is new now and what is not um, new before is of course that everything is now coming to a head, and that has led to the introduction of this. Uh, where, you know, sort of uh, national security law in Hong Kong. Um, because after 23 years, I mean, Beijing has extremely, become extremely concerned um, about the, uh, the threat uh, to its uh, national security. And also at the back of it all, in the, in the eyes of um, the whole of China, I would say, whole of mainland China, um, the, the country is the flag. The country is the flag. Even if you don't agree with with, 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 with uh, what the flag implies, uh, it is the country. Um, and no, I but, think that, uh, Andrew, uh, with respect, you know, we're talking but, about but, the civil that, service. That is part I mean, of we're the talking about the civil service, and I think you summed it up very clearly just before 9 o'clock. Um, the mandate of, of the mainland civil service is totally different to that yeah, of the right. Hong Kong civil service. Yeah. Our, our responsibility or was before and is now is, is to... Um, loyalty to the basic law, our own constitution. And I think it's very confusing to civil servants if yeah. they're told 
that they now have to consider their responsibilities in terms of two completely different constitutional setups. Well, it's quite right. Now, by, all means, by all means, I'm sure there's a way through this, but it's not being made clear at the moment. Yeah. And that is a big weakness in what Patrick Nip is saying. Yeah, absolutely. That's why the civil service uh, unions are demanding uh, clarification. But I don't think it would be, um, Beijing would be so stupid uh, as to expect all the Hong Kong civil servants to uphold uh, the policy inside the, the mainland, because I mean, the, that's why we have one country, two systems. You know, the, all the rules and regulations, all the policies in the mainland um, should not apply to Hong Kong. But when it comes to national security, when it comes to civil servants, cannot become subversives, cannot become uh, especially important persons, uh, important people holding in positions of authority cannot just say, well, this is after office hours. Now, I can stand up in an open platform uh, and, 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 and promote you know, separatism and, and then promote my ideas uh, of my um, hatred of the Communist Party. Uh, it's one thing for you know, to messengers to say in the social media, but it's for, enough, for a completely different story um, for people in, in, in key positions. I think if we get down to cases, yeah. uh, Andrew, I mean, we, we could look at the Greater Bay Area yeah, right. plans. Now, this is an obvious example of where local civil servants can, um, you know, have understanding, can develop understanding of how the implementation of the Greater Bay Area can be um, good for the country and good for Hong Kong. But I think we have to look at it not in... Um, what John Burns was referring to as the big picture. I think we have to look at it in, in little bites, in, yeah. in, in ways yeah. which, which it will work on yeah. a practical basis yeah. and which people won't feel a conflict. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's not only applied to civil servants, it applies to every um, man in the street, because an ordinary man in the street, the people in, the, in our, um, you know, the wet markets, you know, the, 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 um, the, the, the mom and pop stores, they don't understand the big picture, but they do understand what affect their own personal interests. Do they, are they leading a better life? Are they earning more money? Are they making their lives more um, um, comfortable? Um, do they have a bigger space? Uh, to expand their businesses. So all this would come about, and I, I think it requires um, a, a greater degree of, of um, an, uh, interaction and, and involvement. If people have, haven't been to the mainland, um, and all they hear is about all these um, horror stories about the Communist Party, uh, they're arresting you know, sort of people at will and put them in jail, uh, that kind of thing, especially people who, who, don't, who don't understand the big picture in China. Uh, obviously, there is a sense of um, apprehension. Uh, this is understandable. But I think that especially with the introduction of this highly controversial uh, national security law, um, uh, one has got to understand, you know, what rattles Beijing and what, what, what has led up to this, you know, after 23 years. Mm. And I having think, said I think that, what's fun, what's uh, it requires important. A, a kind of a greater interaction and, and, mm. and, and, and really understanding what's, what, you know, the, the, the real world, what's happening. But at this point, what is fundamentally important is that the chief executive and her team reassure the civil service as, as the, the way forward yeah. and doesn't seem to be implying all the time that they are no longer to be trusted. And they have to, I mean, this, yeah. is, this is what is causing concern. Yeah, I and, think, I think um, Patrick is, is, is going to take, take this in, in his stride. The reason why he's got a sudden change of uh, portfolio from the constitutional affairs to the civil service 
as I said earlier in my um, in my uh, you know recent back chat. Uh, on, uh, on that occasion, I said, "Well, this is part of the reason is that because Beijing is also worried that certain members of the civil service uh, and, and 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 display the degree of of um, not opposition but a kind of activism uh, which threatens um, uh, China's sense of national security that is now put in charge of this uh, normally quite a backwater." But now it's become a hot seat. Yeah, Andrew, linked to that, do you have any insight as to why Patrick is making these remarks now? Because because he's under pressure. Uh, Obviously, he understands now why he's moved from that position to what used to be a backwater. And I think the the writings are on the wall that Beijing is worried about the civil servants as well. I mean... Um, not the, the kind of messengers and things like that, but during the the the, 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 the protest, um, you know, the anti-extradition uh, bill protest. Even um, the former secretaries for the civil service, you know, do some wrong. You know, stood up and say, well, civil servants are are are, 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 are not are not are independent, and they can say what they uh, what they want. Um, and of course, the, what we see in Hong Kong, we should oppose it. And I think that this is a fear uh, that sentiments like that could spread through the civil service, um, especially combined with the uh, perception of a grave erosion of the sense of nationhood uh, in Hong Kong. Most of our young people um, at the university graduates, they don't understand you know, about the one country. All they, un- all they want to cherish is just the two systems. And that goes in, uh, into in the, um, uh, Deng Xiaoping's original intention of one country, two systems. Okay. It's not as if the I think, two systems I think it's can actually, be a separate entity. I think it's actually quite, uh, quite unfortunate yeah. that the post of the Secretary for the Civil Service was made a political appointment. And at the time, there was quite a lot of disquiet about that because well, it could be seen I mean, as, as well, there, would be, there, would, there would be a conflict in, in a sense in his role which is to administer the civil service and to protect the interests of, of civil service well, and, let's face it, and what we see happening now which is it, he's being directed to um, to take positions and to yeah. say things. All right, let's, I wanted to finish work. off with some, with some comments from listeners. Uh, Observer says, discussion about having to take a test for the civil service is totally irrelevant since civil servants cannot be fired and can only be removed from their post, either by retirement or by doing something criminal. So what would happen if they fail this test? My wife works for the civil service in charge of some teams and when teams don't do their job properly, there's nothing she can do except complain. So now what? That comes from Observer. Peter M says, Patrick Nip's statement is another attempt to blur the lines between one country and two systems. I'm surprised to hear your guests go along with it. As Rachel Cartland said, to the extent this applies, it's reflected in senior civil servants committing to uphold the basic law. Does this new perspective mean that judges are just administrators and need to put the national interest, whatever that may mean, above all else, as was suggested in the white paper issued by Beijing a few years ago? This suggestion created great concern at the time. We know the judiciary in the mainland is not truly independent, so are we prepared to accept a similar standing for the judiciary in Hong Kong? which seems to be the logical outcome of Patrick Nip's statement. That comes from uh, Peter uh, M. Alan says, your guest was talking at length about how the civil service is colonialist. That's not wrong. But the statement about civil servants' loyalty is not in opposition to that. In fact, the aim is to make Hong Kong civil servants even more colonialist, to act in Beijing's interests before Hong Kong's interests in all cases. That's been happening from the top down since 1997 and is the main motivation for the protests. So this, like all the government reactions, will only 
exacerbate the problems. And if you're a civil servant, like a teacher or an RTHK journalist, this is a dire threat of white terror. Not that's anything new. How long before we have embedded political monitors in every office to report on everyone's loyalty? Or maybe they can just do it all digitally by surveillance. That comes uh, from uh, Alan. Bowen says, I cannot understand Andrew Lung's argument because as opposed to some fringe radical elements of the pan-democratic camp, there's been no case of any number of civil servants urging separatism or independence for Hong Kong, at least not to my knowledge. And Patrick Nip's comment impinges only on civil servants and not the general public. His analogy of all Californians having to salute the American flag is also not an appropriate comparison because in our case, while Hong Kong's civil servants obviously should not be treasonous towards the central government, they are mandated to operate a system to which all Chinese laws are explicitly made inapplicable. And the Chinese government has constantly changed its stance on issues, rendering the civil servant's job an impossible one if they're expected to serve two masters. That situation does not exist in the United States. That comes from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed for for, uh, all those comments. And thank you to our guest, Elizabeth Bosher, former Deputy Secretary for Economic Services in the British Hong Kong Administration, and uh, Andrew Lung, International and Independent China Strategist, former Director General of Social Welfare. Thank you very much indeed for... uh, uh, joining us this morning. We wanted to turn finally today, as mentioned, to the uh, bailout of uh, Cathay Pacific uh, by the uh, administration uh, announced yesterday. We're joined now by Tony Tyler, former chief executive of Cathay Pacific, and uh, Albert Lamb, who's the former director of civil aviation. Tony Tyler, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thanks for, morning. for joining us. Uh, what do you think? Is this a, a good deal for uh, the people of Hong Kong? Is it a good deal for Cathay? I think it is a very good deal for the people of Hong Kong, and it is—it's a, a necessary deal for Cathay. I'm sure it's something that, that um, in, in better circumstances, um, neither Cathay Pacific nor the government would have wanted to do this. But it, it, it's a deal that has to be done. But I think it's a—it's a very good deal for the people of Hong Kong because they will get this money back. It's not like uh, the, the money's going to Cathay and won't, won't come back. They'll get the money back. They'll get it repaid with interest. And, but the real point is that Hong Kong needs an airline, and um, Hong Kong needs an airline because if it's going to re- recover its economy, it needs to be connected with the world, um, and uh, Cathay Pacific will do that for it in a very good way. Um, it also, Cathay Pacific employs a lot of people at all points of the, of the wage scale and of the skill spectrum, um, obviously very high-skilled people who are going all the way through to blue-collar workers, to engineers and, lay, and, and mechanics and so on. Um, and um, Cathay Pacific will be able to do a great job for Hong Kong in the future. And frankly, if this deal hadn't been done, um, there's a very real chance, I believe, that we wouldn't have had a Cathay Pacific um, when this COVID crisis has passed. But, but isn't that just a little bit sentimental? Shouldn't failing companies be allowed to fail and then replaced by others? Why, why do we need to be so wedded to Cathay? Um, what, what the airline industry is going through at the moment is a completely unprecedented collapse in, in demand. Uh, I know, but wasn't it collapsing uh, before that as well? Uh, I mean, like, well, a bit like Ocean Park. I it's mean, it was famous, in trouble before. Fa- it's famous fuel hedging contracts that turned out not to be so clever. Well, I mean, indeed, those were the, the, that was a problem for Cathay Pacific. It made a mistake on its fuel hedging, but but, but the business itself was substantially a strong business um, and a business that was necessary for Hong Kong. I mean, you know, it's all very well to why why do, well, why don't you let Cathay Pacific go? 
Um, there isn't going to be a, another airline suddenly that's going to appear to do the job that Hong Kong needs it to do. I mean, Cathay Pacific is a, was a, is a very strong brand. It's one of Hong Kong's best-known um, companies globally. It has a great reputation for service and, and for its product. It's a great fleet, very modern, efficient fleet. It's got a good, very good team of people who, who run it and operate the airline. Um, and it would, be, it would be a tragedy if that were to be lost. Um, Hong Kong would regret that very much if that was to be lost. Would you apply the same sort of thinking to other parts of the world? Should the British government now be stepping in and saving Virgin, as Richard Branson's requested? Should it prop up British Airways? Well, let's put this in context. Over, over 50 countries have provided government support in, in financial terms um, for their airlines, and over 100 billion US dollars around the world has been, been pledged in the way of either equity, loans, wage subsidies or other forms of support. Countries like the US has done it massively, um, Germany, France, uh, Singapore, Korea, Japan, Norway, Taiwan, uh, China as well. And, and what the Hong Kong government has done is not unusual at all. Uh, in fact, they're only doing what other countries have done. If you look at Singapore, for example, um, some weeks ago, and it was, I think, finalized only last week, a massive amount of equity, much more than this, was, uh, was, was uh, put into Singapore Airlines because the Singapore government recognized, like the Hong Kong government has recognized, that, that if Singapore is going to be successful, it needs to have an airline, needs to be well connected. And, and that there are opportunities as the world comes out of the crisis um, to, to um, if you have an airline that can go out and can, can, can uh, capture more market share from, from around the region and, and, and more widely, you have an opportunity here to, to grow the business and to bring more business into the, into the city. And this is, this is what Singapore has decided. They're, they're good at this kind of thing. And the Hong Kong government, I'm pleased to see, has, has also decided that uh, they need to do something about that as well. OK, some comment from listeners. John Kowloon says the Hong Kong government's decision to inject uh, $30 billion into Cathay Pacific looks like a win-win situation for most parties involved. The de facto flagship carrier receives a much-needed cash infusion. Staff layoffs will be avoided, at least in the near term. The government will receive a dividend yield of between 3 to 9% on the preference shares it's buying. Swire and Air China will be able to retain their controlling shareholding, and Cathay's minority shareholders have the option to buy more shares at a steep discount. One group which might be less enthused is Swire Pacific's minority shareholders, some of whom have argued that Swire should exit an industry which has consistently generated subpar financial returns. Having rescued Cathay, the government must now relax some of the very restrictive anti-COVID travel measures which remain uh, in place. Uh, th uh, until then, Cathay, as well as the crucial hospitality and retail sectors, will continue to bleed money. That comes from uh, John Kowloon. And uh, S says, now that the government has some shares in Cathay, will it be able to clarify who in the government will be able to travel business in first class? Sometimes in other countries, when there is government involvement, airlines are hijacked by government personnel and uh, by families. Also joining us, as I say, is uh, Albert Lamb, former director of civil aviation. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Well, what, what, what do you make of this? Would, uh, would this have I, happened I in your day? I, I am the former director general, to, to be exact, the official I beg your director pardon. general. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I think something needs to be done. Uh, Cathay, uh, like many other airlines, is, is facing an, an unprecedented situation and need to be salvaged. Of course, uh, they, they may, uh, government may have considered other options. For example, if, if Cathay were to were to fold up, there will be other white knight coming along with a whole lot of money. But this particular uh, white knight may not be the sort of white knight which we want or the sort of capital which we want. 
So uh, I think this is a, 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 in my view, is a very, very good option uh, to to resolve the current situation. Uh, if nothing is done, Cathay will very soon be running out out of uh, cash flow, which means that, like a human body, without blood, uh, it, it will, cannot survive. Uh, earlier, we've been talking about colonialism and so on. Isn't it true, though, that the cafe is some, regarded by some people as a kind of remainder of colonialism, that somehow the government ends up propping up a British company, basically? Uh, well, I don't think, uh, in, my, in my personal opinion, uh, uh, we, we have already uh, gone through the, the, the re- reunification with the motherland, and there are provisions within our basic law. Of course, some may, may start to see it differently. Uh, of course, uh, it's, it's an image which Cathay itself has to change, because it is still seen by many that it is run by, by, by Guaylo's expatriates. And this is a sort of image they're giving to, to the general public. But in, in essence, uh, it is a, it's a Hong Kong airline. Uh, the, the air traffic services right, which, which uh, Cathay is, is holding, uh, we must understand that traffic right belongs to the Hong Kong people. It is through the Hong Kong government and then assigned to Cathay to, to use it and operate. And I think in the past, Cathay has been using it uh, fairly, fairly well, but not uh, there's many, of course, plenty of room for improvement. And also, Cathay... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on, 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 that, on that topic, an email from LK who says, in France, the financial support scheme is tied to decarbonisation efforts with targets to develop carbon-neutral air travel by 2035. Uh, why no such requirements uh, in Hong Kong? What, what about putting, I don't know, green requirements or other requirements? Mm, or Jeremy Cam talked about staff security. Are you talking to me? Or yeah, what? yes. I mean, is, you know, it's now the chance for... I hear something in the background. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Cathay has has a lot of improvement. For example, its management. For example, the way it handled fuel hedging in the past, to me, is a very bad management measure, which you need to reflect seriously. This is the first first point. The second point is some of the the traffic rights which it is holding, which is in excess of what what it can meet, and and they need to need to trim down. For example, in the, in the old days, uh, it's running a lot of traffic between Hong Kong and Taipei, uh, just to quote one example. Uh, but uh, Cathay is, or, or, or Dragon Air is not having that amount of traffic. And, uh, and run, running, running that uh, is not an efficient way of using the traffic right. OK. Well, Albert Lamb, many thanks for joining us, former Director General of Civil Aviation, and Tony Tyler, former Chief Executive of Cathay Pacific. Thank you very much indeed. Just some uh, emails to uh, finish off. Um, let's see. On the civil service, Andrew Kay says, anyone know how many civil servants have been arrested in street protests? I think I saw the number 50 somewhere. Um uh, LK says, civil servants are completely out of touch with the lives of most Hong Kongers. A simple example, have you visited a civil service flat, beautiful, spacious homes with high ceilings and good ventilation? Compare that to private sector employees in private sector housing, cramped, oddly shaped rooms, ceilings too low to allow the installation of a ceiling fan. Cushy jobs, luxury housing, no commercial pressure, aloof and out of touch. Reform is required. That comes from LK. And uh, finally... 
Uh, Andrew uh, F. says, uh, Li Chi Chung, a 57-year-old father of two daughters and former construction worker, continues to struggle with the absolutely horrific injuries he received last year when he was doused in white spirit and set on fire. His actions in confronting and verbally challenging more than 20 black-clad young people as they vandalised Maran Shan MTR have cost him his livelihood and his health. No matter your political persuasion, burning people alive you disagree with is not something that would ever be countenanced in any civilised society. It's not a partisan issue. If this had happened in the West, then undoubtedly political and social leaders of all persuasions would have immediately and unequivocally condemned it. It's also extremely likely that the victim would have received both support and visits in hospital from a cross-section of those leaders. But here in Hong Kong, you ask the extremely well-educated and frankly privileged chairman of the LSD if he will condemn this yesterday morning on Backchat, relaying my question to him, and he answers clearly, nope. I felt after all that transpired last year in Hong Kong, I no longer have the capacity to be shocked. I was wrong. That comes from uh, Andrew F. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. To uh, everyone who uh, contacted us this morning, sharing uh, your thoughts. I weren't able to uh, get to uh, all of them, uh, but uh, we do our best. Uh, Rachel, thank you very much indeed. Here's the weather before we go. Hot with sunny periods and a couple of showers. Temperatures up to about 32 degrees. Uh, the outlook mainly fine and hot in the next couple of days. 30 degrees now. Humidity is at 77%. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, always keep hands clean and wash hands for at least 20 seconds. Put the lid down before flushing. Add water to U-traps regularly. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask and seek medical advice promptly if unwell. Fully cover your nose, mouth and chin with a mask. Visit chp.gov.hk to learn more. 9.33, the news with Samantha Butler. Civic Party legislator and former Cathay pilot Jeremy Tam says the airline's $39 billion bailout from the government and major shareholders is bigger than he expected. He told RTHK the government should have attached conditions to the money to rule out future staff redundancies or pay cuts. George Floyd, the African-American whose killing by a police officer ignited worldwide protests against racism, is being buried in his native Houston. Earlier at his funeral, family, religious and political leaders called for systemic change and justice for black Americans. And a UK study suggests lockdowns alone won't stop the resurgence of the coronavirus, but even homemade masks can dramatically reduce transmission rates. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven, as well as oh so shy, quiet, and retiring Doggy Council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Well, very good morning to you. Welcome to today's Morning Brew. Lovely to be back. It's Wednesday morning. In a few minutes from now, we're going to find out about the slightly odd yet massively popular subject of social media for pets. Uh, so if you've got a secret cute social media thing for your cat or dog or whatever, do share it with us on our Morning Brew page and I'll put it up on the feed and all that kind of stuff. So Janice in just a few minutes, join us on Facebook Live. She's in Texas today. We're going to carry on with Creatures, Creatures from the Deep 